revelation with him and Romans and uh, spiritual formation and pretty much any systematic theology, I believe. It was just pretty much anything I could. And just so blessed by your life and uh, just had a great time just eating dinner with you yesterday again, just catching up. And Very he was here a year and a half ago. I can believe that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was right before, uh, right after we went to Detroit uh, in our fall mm-hmm. trip, and we were back at Fountainhead, if you remember that. And uh, it was the super spreader, Sunday super spreader. It was just everyone was packed in like sardines, and now we get to have a little bit more space. So super thankful for that. And so why don't we do this? Why don't we extend a hand? Why don't we bless him uh, and pray for him? And uh, as we hear the word of God this morning, I believe he's teaching on prayer. We could all use an upgrade in that, I know, mm. including myself. And so why don't we pray right now? Father, thank you, thank you mm. for Dr. Thrasher. God, I thank mm. you for his life. For the many years that he has served you faithfully. Mm. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would receive that impartation from him this morning of your word. Like Paul said, the impartation, God, for, for, for prayer or for the, for the gospel, for enrichment in the word. God, I pray that we receive everything that he has this morning. May we grow. May we be different mm. and transformed as a result of it. Not being mere hearers of the word, but doers of it yes. in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I want you to know I thank God for your pastor and for his uh, dear precious family, uh, his, his wife and his children. I think his parents are here today. And uh, I know they have four children. John is their oldest. And um, I know you're of your other son as well. I know you have two daughters. One daughter's with you there. But uh, when he would be there in the... Uh, sports center with him in regard to his business or whatever. Um, he told me what a good job John was doing down here, and uh, it was a great privilege to be able to see that firsthand, and uh, I, too, greatly enjoyed the time. And, and this precious couple here that picked me up and hosted me this weekend, I thank God for what he's doing there. I thank God for the spiritual energy that I see in this place. It was a joy to be met with prayer there uh, this Thank God for the new facility God has given you here to meet in. And so it's a great, great privilege to, to be with you. And uh, I praise God for the, for the spiritual growth that's happening in individuals, for the families that are form, forming and the, the godly children that are being raised up. We, we praise God. And I pray that we say what the psalmist says, God blesses us that the ends of the earth may fear him. Um, I do pray God would abundantly above and beyond. We could ask her, thank, bless that trip to, to San Francisco. And uh, may God abundantly pour out his blessing in regard to providing for you. Um, I would not be here today apart from the work God was doing, did in my life as a college student. And so i just so grateful in a sense for um, uh, what God is doing here as you seek to impact this huge college community. Uh, and yet, after college, too, you seek to, what, be grounded in a godly church and, and be giving in the right direction. So I'm very, very, very encouraged. Um, you probably, wherever you are, you are probably ahead of me where I was or whatever. I was raised in a wonderful family, grew up in the, in the Deep South, grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, went to Auburn University. I know you all stole our coach last year. You got a better deal than we have. But the, uh, and I hope he does well. I love that man. I love the chaplain he hired um, there, there at Auburn. And, um, but anyhow, the, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, I was raised in a denominational church. Perhaps people my parents' age knew the Lord. The gospel wasn't very clear. 
But I'm so grateful that at 13 years of age, uh, I went to, to Crampton Bowl. That was the local football stadium there, and high school football was huge there. It'd be a 25,000-seat stadium, and you, before the season, season started, you could not get a ticket to the, the rival, two rival high schools there, whatever. It was a, so there are many football games in that stadium that I went to. It's where they would hold for many years the annual Blue-Gray football classic, whatever they still have a bowl game there. But more eventful than all of that was the Billy Graham crusade that I went to as a 13-year-old boy and hearing the gospel. For the Billy Graham had previously been a couple of years before to Birmingham. He went Alabama. He went there right after the, bur- the bombing of that church that killed a number of black girls. He didn't want to cancel his trip, although he was under a lot of death threats when he, when he went there. And then, then President Lyndon Johnson said, go back down there. Uh, your gospel is the only thing that can do anything for the racial crisis. And so he returned and preached at Auburn University and the University of Alabama and Tuskegee and then had a, had a crusade in Dothan, Alabama. And he came back, but praise God, he canceled a European vacation to come to do a a 10-day crusade there in Montgomery in Crampton Bowl. And that's where, for the first time, understanding the gospel and went forward that evening. Now, God put something in my heart to read the scriptures and to pray, and uh, but I really wasn't part of a good church like this. I still and didn't really significantly grow. My growth was stagnated and wasn't discipled, and, and so I'm so grateful what God is doing in your life. And after high school, I, I joined the Air Force Reserve. That was just six months active duty, and then once a month, military obligation. But started Auburn University in a winter quarter. We were on the quarter system back then, and, and was there for about a year. And everything was going right externally. Uh, I pledged the fraternity there that my brother, older brother had pledged, and there were older fraternity brothers that were helping me make contacts, even got elected president of the School of Business as a freshman. That was sort of fluky, but everything um, was going right outwardly. Uh, but inwardly, I was bankrupt. Uh, I think I knew the Lord. I didn't know how to, but I wandered into the room of a fraternity brother one day. Most unusual guy that had pledged that fraternity. Remember, we're talking about the social fraternity on a state university. Walked into Buster's room, Robert Buster Holmes. He, uh, I didn't ask a, a question, but he began sharing with me a little booklet they used in with Crusade. Have you made the wonderful discovery of the spirit-filled life? I hung on every word. I didn't respond in any way, but I walked away saying, you know, there is some hope for the Christian life that I don't know anything about. I was part of a denominational church, and every week we recited the Apostles' Creed. I believed in the Holy Ghost. That's what I knew about. But I walked away saying, there's a resource that I don't know anything about. And in God's providence, Buster's roommate was moving out that quarter, and so was mine. So we said, let's room together. I roomed with him for a year. And God used that to draw me into a surrender my life to the Lord. 
went on to major in business, and in God's mercy did very well. But also, God used that time. I remember being gripped with sensing that God had something different for me. And uh, in the providence of God, there was an individual with a very good company, and he had sort of courted me uh, during my years there in regard to his particular company, and there was a great offer. And, and But, you know, I don't think he was a believer, but just as I was praying, God, what do you want me to do? Just spontaneously one day he says, you know, we have people like you that want to get off work to do what they really want to do. You know, God used that those words to say, you know, God, I think you're, I don't know, I feel like I don't know what kind of person would go in the ministry. I don't think it would be me. But, but that's what I sense what you're calling me to do. And I remember asking, Buster, I think this is what he's calling me to do. He says, oh, yeah, God can use anybody. And so that was a word of hope. But that is indeed what God did. Uh, I wanted to go right into ministry. I wanted to work with college students because I had found life, and that's what I desired very deeply to do. But, but uh, older, wiser men says you probably need to get some training, and I, I certainly did. Now, I praise God for the training that many of you are getting right here, probably the ideal way to do it, you know, as you, as you come back on Sunday evenings. I look forward to being with you there uh, as it was last time. But, well, I did end up going uh, to, to school and getting training. I desperately I didn't want to do it. I'll tell you why I didn't want to do it. But here was my impression. The more a person knew, the le- least excited they were about it. Why in the world would I want what they had? <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, I desperately needed uh, training. I certainly did. And so God, in his great mercy, uh, I worked in internships through seminary and before seminary. And, and so God used that. I, I also... Um, if you stereotype the people that went to the seminary I had, the sort of warm-hearted people wanted to be pastors and missionaries. The more cerebral kind wanted to be professors. Um, as I sensed God leading me to maybe a teaching ministry, I struggled with that. I wanted to be, I felt more an affinity with these warm-hearted people, you know. But, um, but God did indeed call me, and, well, just okay, I'll be a pastor to students. And so... Um, and sometimes you have students like John that you claim to fame you didn't mess him up. You know, uh, he was pretty good before he came to us or whatever. So, um, but it's been a great, great privilege to be there uh, now in my 42nd year of being there. And, that's, and I, of course, I need everything I teach, and I, and I realize that. Well, after rooming with Buster for that year, I saw, man, the guy, prayer is a part of his life. It's, 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 it's I guess that's what, a, I said, he knows more about it than I do. I guess that's what a Christian's supposed to do. You're supposed to pray. I guess you're supposed to brush your teeth every day. I guess you're supposed to pray. And so I developed the discipline of prayer in my life. I was raised by a very disciplined mother, and so discipline was a part of my life. And, and so after you're around the church a while, people will say, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. You know, I tried to pray for it all. And uh, after about 10 years of that, and I had gone through uh, a four-year master's program, 120 hours, uh, and then a doctoral program, and then I was teaching, and after about 10 years, uh, I was heavily involved in the activity of prayer, but um, I remember one day, I'll never forget it, uh, this was the loud thought that was going through my mind, very involved in the activity of prayer is that the loud thought was, God, I think the greatest gift you could give me is just take this burden off my back of prayer, because what I realized that morning was that, was this. God, I don't really think I'm expecting anything to happen. 
when you're praying and you're not expecting anything to happen, you have to ask yourself the question, why pray? Uh, you know what I discovered? My prayer life had really died right in the midst of the activity of prayer. And so I want to talk about how do you resurrect a dead prayer life? That's what God needed to do with me. You see, if you had asked me at that time, what do you hear teaching about prayer? I would have said, I hear two things loud and clear and repetitively. The two things are this. One, prayer is very, very, very important. Two, you need to discipline yourself to do it. Well, I had, those are the two foundational things. If you don't buy into that, everything else is theoretical. But I had bought into that and my prayer life had died. D.L. Moody, the founder of the school I teach at and John graduated from, greatest preacher of his day. But you know what he said? He said, I'd rather teach one person to pray than 10 people to preach. Well, there is, and so that put me on a pilgrimage. You know, when, when the Lord's disciples came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, Luke 11, 1, he spoke. Your heart can say, Lord, you know my life, you know my personality, you know my God, teach me to pray. God will speak. God will teach you. That used to be on the top of my prayer life for years. Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach me to pray. I'm so grateful for the things I've unlearned about prayer. You know, as I talk today about praying in the Holy Spirit, there are five commands in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Uh, walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Don't grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. Don't quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And the fifth one. Pray in the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 6.18. And then in Jude, that one chapter book. Verses 20 and 21. Well, that's the one that I said God, God got my attention on. I said, God, I'm not sure what this means. Uh, but I, it's like God saying through that verse, you need divine help in your prayer life. Prayer is not just a human activity. Uh, and so that put me on a pilgrimage. Lord, show me how you want to lend a helping hand. Give me divine help in my dead prayer life and how you want to resurrect it. Well, first of all, you need help in motivation in your prayer life. Motivation. Uh, I, I would say, now this is very unflattering, so I'll say it of me, but I think it's true with all of us. Um, if you come to God and you, and you confess this, come to God and confess this. Lord, in and of myself, I don't care about anybody but me. Uh, now, that's very unflattering, but the, that's the truth of the matter with our flesh. That's the truth. Um, in other words, I can't produce Christ-like compassion. I can't produce Christ-like fervency. And you'll sometimes find the Lord's rebuke to his people when he says, there's no one who arouses himself to take hold of God. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But yet you will also see compassionate prayer. Like in Luke 12, 5, they were praying fervently. Or in the psalmist, Psalm 119, 136, he says, My 
I shared tears of compassion for those who don't keep your word. So God can produce that, okay? How, how do you develop that fervency? How do you develop that compassion? I, w- I would say this is how you develop it. Uh, you ask God to help you see a need, see a need. Uh, what, you see a need, and then you begin to what? You begin to feel that need. You begin to feel that need. You see a need. You feel a need. And then thirdly, you admit your helplessness to do anything about it. Don't stop there. You see a need. You feel a need. You admit your helplessness to do anything about it. And you surrender that to God. And you get out of the way. Now, what do I mean get out of the way? You see a need. You feel a need. You admit your helplessness to do anything about it, and you surrender to God and get out of the way. Don't scheme. Don't scheme. It's like the, remember the testimony of this dear wife who had gotten saved and her husband wasn't saved. And sometimes, sometimes that's the definition of eternity, the time period between you getting saved and your spouse getting saved. But... Uh, she said she knew she wasn't supposed to preach or nag. But she says, you know what I'll do? Uh, she put books all over their home. She had them opened up to the exact page she wanted him to read. It wasn't very subtle. Uh, and she said, until God convicted her of her scheming, God had to do that first before he saved her husband. Uh, when something, you want something to happen, you see a need, you feel a need, you're not indifferent about it. It's hard to what? Not to scheme and surrender to God. Um, also, secondly, don't be critical. You see, when you, when you see something and something that you see a need, you feel a need, and, and it's affecting you, and it's not right, um, you tend to get critical. I appreciated so much reading a book about praying Hyde, John Hyde, the missionary to India. And his own testimony says one day he was praying and because uh, he was burdened for a particular pastor there on the mission field that he sensed was hurting the work of God. And uh, he said, oh, God, you know how cold, you know how indifferent, you know how this pastor is hurting the work of God. And then God began to convict him. You're not praying, you're not dependent, you're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit as you're praying. You're cooperating with the accuser of the brethren. That can easily happen. That can easily happen in a relationship. That can easily happen in a home where you begin to get critical. Now, now you say I'm critical about the right things. Things are not as they ought to be. Yes, but that's not going to work towards a solution to it. John Hyde, evidently, as I read his testimony, must have been meditating on Philippians 4.8 or studying. Whatever things are true and honorable and lovely. And, uh, and he began to argue with God on the basis of that verse. When he says, God, it's true that this pastor is cold and indifferent and, and hurting the work of God. But he says, as you looked at all that verse, gives you several things there in Philippians 4.8. Includes, whatever things are worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. God says, I don't want you to just be meditating on things that are true, but true and honorable and lovely and worthy of praise. And he thought to himself, is there anything I could praise you for in this pastor's life? And God brought some things to mind. 
You know what he learned later? It was during that time of praise that God sent a reviving work in that pastor's life. You see, how God wants to teach us there are things that do disturb you. They should disturb you. There are cultural trends that are very, very troubling. Uh, but how do we carry that and be a solution and not just let that eat away at us? Not just get together and tell how dark the world is because, boy, it's dark. It doesn't take a lot of discernment to figure that out. But, God, how can we be light in the midst of that? Uh, well, don't be critical. Don't scheme. And don't despair. Don't despair. I remember uh, being at a small gathering. This dear man had come to school. He's a the la very latter years of his life now and his ministry, John Perkins, a man who God greatly used in racial reconciliation, and he gave his, was given his testimony one day. He was there in Mississippi, and, and uh, he'd gotten saved. I think he was in his early 20s when he got saved. He only formally had about, a, I think, a second-grade education. He, that, um, and, but he was given a Bible. And for the first time, obviously, he wanted to read and understand. And, and he said, I just, it was the most frustrating thing I've ever had. He said, not to be able to really understand this book. I mean, it was King James, and so it was harder language. And he says, God, maybe I just don't have the mental equipment. Um, but he says, I got I said, he said, oh, God, if you will just open this book, I'll do anything to proclaim it. No one would doubt that God answered that prayer today. It may not be that every sentence would have perfect English, but the man has numerous honorary doctorates uh, and great spiritual discernment. So in your despair, rather than give in to it, cry out to God, cry out to God, cry out to God. That's why you cry out to God when you see this need, you feel this need, you admit your helplessness, but you cry out to God. And see God work. You know, one of the most precious, and I think with these wonderful, wonderful small children, children of any age, whatever you are, the, uh, this is a great encouragement. I had started a little father-son club as I was seeking to raise my boys. I uh, started out with just one other. I was on the soccer field with my son. He was young, and I saw this other boy on the other team. I said, man, I'm just really impressed with that guy. And my wife said, I think I know the parents of that and and so i got up and talked to him or whatever and anyhow we had an idea let's get together every week and let's help each other father our children um, and so we started this little father-son club it was just the two of us I, he would teach a practical skill i think it was building a birdhouse at first and i was teach a spiritual skill the next year some others said hey we want to join you so we had six fathers and um and that's about as big as it needed to get and, and a bunch of kids but um it wasn't a thing that the parent dropped their kid off at. They, they went to it, and I just had boys or whatever. But another, one of the other fathers, he started a, a mother-daughter thing, you know. But um, anyhow, it was a glorious thing. And we'd bring people in. We'd bring people in sometimes to get the boys just to introduce. Uh, they were young little boys, you know, from 6 to 12. And uh, they would sometimes interview these ones. We had some storied people come in, you know. And, uh, uh, and one evening, I remember... Gil Beers came in. He's a prolific children's author, wrote the Toddler's Bible and other things. And he says, I want to talk to you boys about heritage. And uh, 
The story he told, I, was so, I, was, I asked him, I said, man, I'm just so impressed with that. Well, could you please have that written up? Oh, yeah, I've got that written up. And so here he, he, he was telling about the heritage in his, in his wife's family, about two particular grandmothers. And I'll just mention one was a Grandma Rudy, uh, she was affectionately called, Grandma Catherine Rudy. Um, she was from small-town Iowa, a housewife. Married to a very poor pastor. Um, and he died young, the pastor. Left her penniless with three children and a fourth in her womb. Now, there she could have despaired. She didn't have enough funds to keep, put, keep a roof over her head. She had to move in with a relative. But rather than despair, God's Spirit put on her heart, you know, my mission, I'm going to pray for my four children. Uh, one of them is not yet born yet. And I'm going to pray for my unborn grandchildren. That became her mission in life. Uh, Grandma Rudy, well, one of, Gilbert says, one of her children was his mother-in-law. Here was his words. He says, to walk into their presence was to sense the barred fragrance of the rose of Sharon, the barred glow of the bright morning star. Grandma Rudy left 17 grandchildren, all Christians with Christian mates, all of whom raised their children for the Lord. And he documents all that. There's a strong stream of ministry and missions in this generation. Francis and Clifford Leonard, 43 years in Japan. Pearl and Bill Allen, 10 years as medical missionaries in the Congo. Jim and Jeannie Masters, business. Uh, along with many years in the Gideons. And he goes on and on and on, uh, documenting it. He says there are 50-plus great-grandchildren, to my knowledge, all Christians, along with a strong lineage of Christian ministry and mission. He goes on and documents all that. I was impressed also in his write-up that 12 of these 17 grandchildren cited, let's meet together and let's continue what Grandma Rudy started. And they developed a certificate and a covenant suitable for framing, signed by the Twelve, that they pledged to pray for that heritage. Let's continue. That lady could have despaired. People would have looked at that lady as a pretty pitiful lady. She has these children. She doesn't even have enough money to put a roof over her head. But few people would say they've had the impact of a Grandma Rudy. So God's Spirit can what? Take our tendency to despair, and He can produce what? Prayers in our heart that can affect future generations. So, you're not by in this by yourself. I mean, and if it had not been for God's Spirit in my life, I would have despaired many times, and I would despair many times today in the future. But see, we're not in it by ourselves. Uh, it's God who can keep you going. I remember many years ago thinking this thought, and this was about almost 40 years ago, so I was much younger then, but the thought was, God, if I'm to live a normal life, how could I stay true to you to the very end? I thought about that for less than a minute and got worn out. Uh, but then what God popped in my mind, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who's working if it will and, to will and work for his good pleasure. It's like God says, I'm going to keep you going. I'm going to keep you going. Like the Apostle Paul said, apart from the mercy of God, he had lose heart. And he explains that mercy of God is what? Even though his outer man's decaying, inner man 
is being renewed. God keeps you going. God keeps you going. God keeps you going. That The Christian life is not just a phase in your young life and then you're done with it. No, it's something that what? I prayed that prayer in our group today. It's been meaningful to me as I've been working through the book of Revelation and to it. Uh, the compliment he gave to that church, he says, your deeds as of late are better than your deeds at first. That ought to be the mission for all of your life. Whatever wonderful start you've had, God, I want to die stronger. I want to die with passion in my life. I don't trust myself one iota. I don't think you should either. The Apostle Paul didn't. He said, I buffet my body. I make it my, I bring it under subjection. Lest after I've preached to others, I would be disqualified. He says, I'm, I want God. You don't automatically finish strong. Uh, I beg God that that would be true. I beg God that would be true of you, me. I beg God that would be true of you. Uh, but watching or out yourself. Well, you have the glorious Holy Spirit. You're not in it by yourself. He can motivate your prayer. He also can guide your prayer. How does he guide your prayer? The Holy Spirit wants to help you know your heart. Know your heart. The, uh, I remember a period longer than I want to remember, and uh, it was in regard to losing a real vision for Sunday worship. I was there, I was faithful, I sung the songs, but my heart really wasn't engaged. I just felt like it was bypassed, you know, and I just said, well, I'm glad that's over and that's done, you know, and I, I fulfill my obligation. Um, but, you know, that, that's wearisome. You can always blame somebody. Well, could I blame the church I was involved in? No, you, you're never going to get anywhere with that. Okay, but I remember getting alone with God. I said, God, something's got to change. Something's got to change. And uh, something I've done the last almost 40, well, maybe over 40 years now, almost 40 years, the, uh, is it takes just a little unburdensome preparation for the Lord's day. Uh, you know what I do? I, I look at my schedule for the, for the coming week. And as I look at the schedule for the coming week, I say, okay, these are some some guidance I need. These are some relational concerns I have. These are some upcoming responsibility. And they God come through. And I and I, from that I try to write down these things that are on my heart, of this guidance I need, this relational concern, this task. I write those down, and later that day or the next day or sometime I'll I'll see how. And I go into the Lord's day sharing my heart with God. That's what I came out of that day with. By the grace of God, there will never be a Lord's day that I don't share my heart with you. See, the Holy Spirit wants to help you get in touch with your heart. What's on your heart today? Uh, God, if, if, if you don't share your heart today with Him, whatever you've done, you haven't worshipped. Uh, you see, God wants to help you get in touch with your heart. You're not in it by yourself. You, you're surrounded by people who love you and care for you. And, you know, the church like this, certainly you, have no, you don't have to carry it by yourself. Uh, let somebody carry it with you. Let somebody cry out to God with you. I've needed that countless times. The, uh, so to know your heart, to know your heart. What is God? See, true prayer starts with God. God puts things on your heart. And sometimes you don't realize fully what you're carrying. The, uh, I'll give you a couple of illustrations that I give. I know some of you have read my prayer book, and, the, uh, and I want to give you these. I could give others, but let me just say, don't want to give you the impression that every time I pray, something like this happens. It doesn't. But uh, 
I want you just to be open and alert. I remember there was a very, very routine Saturday morning. This was many, and uh, I spent a little time with the Lord, and I was about to anxious to get into the day. Um, but I had a heaviness in my heart. I said, okay, Lord, I'm, which I'm sure I've ignored too many times in my life. But I said, Lord, I'm just going to be still and be quiet. Is there anything else you want me to talk to you about? And there was just a real impression of this routine Saturday morning. But I said, Lord, I prayed for safety. Felt just a, I prayed for safety. And it would be about, oh, a few hours later, driving in a car, driving in the car. And this, this car pushed me into the lane of oncoming traffic. Somehow this car missed me. Somehow this car missed me. And I thought safety. And I worshiped God. That was the highlight of that day. You know, God knows how to prepare you and me for the events of my life. And in my hurry, in my rush, I've missed out on the joy of that many times. Uh, that wasn't on my agenda that day, but it was on God's. I remember when uh, the, the field in front of our home uh, is owned by a college. It used to be where that college played baseball. Uh, they don't play baseball now. The field is still there. And I just had a little time before I had to catch a train down to Moody. And so I was walking around the field praying with my wife. And uh, both of us had a sense to pray for a neighbor boy that lived close to us there. He was sort of like a big brother to my children. Uh, and uh, there, these are we, Lawson Field. You probably know where that is there and close to the college. But the, uh, we prayed for Jeff. And, you know, God... That wasn't on our agenda, but we prayed for him. And, you know, it would be, God would know it would be that night that I would be up all night with his mom and dad because of a sports industry, sports injury he had as we were praying through that, and everything worked out fine. But, uh, and that knit my heart to that family in ways that it's still there. Well, and he also has been an incredible blessing to our, our children. The, uh, well... To help you know your heart. To help you know your heart. See, if you ignore your heart in your prayer, prayer dies. Now, see, there's many, many strategies the devil have that will make you despise the activity of prayer. If you feel like prayer is just another thing you've got to put on your to-do list, who gets excited about another thing on your to-do list? But if you feel like there's somebody who loves you so much who wants to help you get in touch with your heart and help you pray your heart, that's very special. Uh, see, not if, see if you, in other words, if there's fear in my life and I'm praying and I'm not talking to God about that fear, I'm not praying. Uh, if there's anger in my heart and I'm not talking to God about that hurt, I'm not praying. And you can almost train yourself. Now, to, when I say you need the Holy Spirit to help you know your heart, you need the Holy Spirit to help you know your heart. If you had asked me, I, growing up I had a wonderful family, but we just didn't talk at this level. If you had asked me, are you angry? I'd say no. Are you fearful? I'd say no. I wouldn't intentionally have been lying to you. I would have been lying to you, but not intentionally. I just didn't know how to get in touch with my heart. God wants to help you get in touch with your heart. He wants to help you pray your heart. C.S. Lewis says, the prayer that precedes all prayer is this. May it be the real I who speak. May it be the real thou that I speak to. The Holy Spirit wants to help you pray your heart. My heart's desire and my prayer, Romans 10.1, is for their salvation. Heart's desire and prayer. Uh, you know, now sometimes what God would do, see, we're so wound up uh, sometimes, and I'm like that, you're like that, and God just wants to cause us to be still. That's why you have those scriptures. 
I wait before you in silence from you as my salvation. God will put you into what? Just lead you into being quiet and being still. I remember the most unusual day in all my years of teaching at Moody was this day. Uh, the, the president, way back, several presidents, I've served under a number of them, and this was the first one I served under, Dr. George Sweetie. And he was moved by the chapel speaker. And so he came to the pulpit, and after the chapel speaker spoke, and he says, we'll have no classes tomorrow. Oh, we'll come to class, but only to pray. In all my years, that's the only time that's ever happened. Of course, students got excited about that. But I got it. With that one announcement, I was knocked out of all my responsibilities for the next day. Now, I was a single man at that particular time. And, um, and so uh, uh, there was a few of these restaurants that made a living off of me. They weren't expensive restaurants. But when I got married, they thought I died, I think. But because I was a, re- I was a regular for that for, for sure. But, um, well, that day, I, I have no responsibility. So I think, well, do I do I fast or whatever. It didn't seem like God was impressed with any of my plans. And so um, I remember there was a restaurant at this particular time that I would call from my apartment. uh, And it was right across, I lived right across from the train tracks. And I'd call this restaurant that was right by the train. And I would even have, I'd order one or two things. I didn't have to get it all out. So we'll have it ready. So I I ate me a good breakfast that morning. I didn't, I I ate me a good breakfast. As I got on the train, I felt like God wanted me to put down everything, even my normal disciplines of seeking him. I put down everything. I would just, even when I got to my classes, it seemed like my responsibility was to say as few words as I could say. It was like, let's pray. That's about all. Now, that was the day I had. I went to my classes. I led in prayer. didn't even hardly speak. Now, I'm walking home, walking to the train. There was a place that, remember, I was a single man, so usually I would eat a little supper before I got on the train. That would be taken care of. It never went to, there was a place at that particular time, it's no longer there. I think I'm glad it's not. But it was, it was, they served leftover lunch for supper. Uh, it wasn't anything special, but it was, uh, you know, it got the job done. And a bargain rate. And uh, it's in the bottom of the merchandise mart. There used to be an old Walgreens there. But anyhow, but that's not there anymore. So they don't. But anyhow, this day, that's where I would normally. I, I went into a pretty good restaurant. Went to a good restaurant after this day of, of doing nothing. Uh, Sat down in the booth there by myself. A waitress said something to me, not once, not twice, but she said it three times. And it had never been said to me before. And here's what she said. She says, I go all over this booth, and I sense hurry, and I sense rush. I come to your booth, and I sense peace. She says, it's sort of spooky. You know, I felt like God wanted to literally just knock me over the head, saying, look, If I ever order you to slow down from your, quote, efforts of seeking me and serving you, I want you to know there's great fruit in that. There's great fruit in that. You may can't explain that to anybody. Like if if you had to come to me at the end of that day, what did you do today? Not much, really nothing. That doesn't sound too impressive. But when doing nothing in obedience to God, it's something. Uh, You see, that hurry and that rush can greatly quench and grieve God's Spirit. So as God helps you get in touch with your heart, as God helps you pray your heart, uh, that's a great gift of Him. Not every, this set me free in regard, not every prayer burden is personally assigned to you. Not everything that needs to be prayed for is something that He'll put on an agenda for you. That was, that was where I, I remember reading in a book something of these words. This person said, I tried to pray for everything with equal intensity, and my prayer life got nowhere. 
until I discovered that God wasn't asking me to pray for everything that needed to be prayed for, but I need to let God set the agenda of my prayer life. Um, well, you know, we live in a world that's addicted to noise. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, the radio in my car broke, and so, uh, well, I guess I'll fix that. But, uh, but you know, I was restrained from fixing it at a particular time. Because I said, you know, every time I get in the car, I turn on the radio, and I'm not saying there's anything sinful about that, but I certainly never included God in that decision. And I was just addicted to noise. And, uh, and you know, that was a spa- after about a year I did because my father wanted me to fix it. But, the, uh, you know, it was learning to listen to the Lord. It, uh, I appreciated this dear, dear man. He says, once on a trip from India to the United States, I was fighting a fever. He thought, if I could only find one Christian and ask him to pray for me, suddenly I felt as if a human hand with a cool, wet wet washcloth had wiped my brow. Instantly, my fever, headache, nausea, and sore throat were gone, and I felt completely well. I thought, who prayed for me? Later, I received a letter from half a Christian half a world away who had felt a heavy burden of prayer that exact time and day. Well, know your heart. Pray your heart. Now, let me say this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to pray your heart for you. Uh, sometimes he has to pray your heart for you. Uh, Romans eight twenty six says, For the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Helps us in our weakness. And the next phrase will explain what he means by weakness, Romans 8, 26. He helps us in our weakness. The weakness is what? We do not know how to pray as we ought. That's the weakness. But the Holy Spirit lends us a helping hand. The word helps, the same word that's used in the Luke 10, the Mary Martha, when Martha said, tell her to help me. It's like, tell her to lend me a helping hand. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to lend you a helping hand when you don't know how to pray as you ought. You see... um, Sometimes there's a deep burden on your heart that you're not fully in touch with. Uh, maybe you're in touch with another thing on your heart, and you're, and you're crying out to God for that. Uh, that's the way Apostle Paul was when he said he had this very, very painful thing, this thorn in the flesh. And he cried to God, Lord, would you remove this thorn in the flesh? Would you remove this thorn in the flesh? And God did not answer that prayer. And he saw that God was not going to answer that prayer. Because, you know, if you had asked Apostle Paul, What's the deeper desire in your heart? He says, I want to be as the most useful Christian I can be. I want to know your grace and your power in the fullest possible extent. So, see, sometimes God doesn't answer a prayer that's a deep desire in order to give you a deeper desire of your heart. And you're not in touch with that deeper desire. But the Holy Spirit is pleading that. You don't know how to articulate that to God. Um, remember this, this family, they were living in Texas, and it was when all they were discovering oil all around their properties. Uh, And so various neighbors were just striking it rich, and they were drilling on their property. And so they had already decided, okay, this is how we're going to be generous, we're going to give. But inexplicably, they discovered oil on everybody's properties but theirs. And so this preacher that was talking about they were sort of bitter about it. You know, boy, I I don't think we were going to give it to the Lord. How come he forgot us? Well, that same visiting preacher came back a, a year or two later, and this family seemed so happy. They said, well, boy, what happened? 
I guess they discovered oil. Oh, no, just the opposite. They never discovered oil, and we're so grateful he didn't. All these individuals that what? Have ran into all this money, almost all of them. Well, they got certain lavish lifestyles or whatever, but they've all basically what? Become disinterested in the spiritual things. Their children aren't walking with God. Some of their marriages aren't together. I'm not saying in every case money does that at all, but, it, but they just sense, okay, God, you've spared us from that. Thank you. Thank you. you. You heard our prayer. It's like my dear father-in-law. He's in heaven now. But when I asked for his hand of his daughter in marriage, I said, Dr. Byer, you know what I do. You know I'll never make large sums of money. Oh, I love what you do. You always do what you do. I want you to do what you do. I've always planned to be very generous to all my heritage. And he had a business plan that was destined and probably should have made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, his only problem was he thought everybody was as honest as he was. Uh, and so it didn't come through. It didn't come through. And, uh, and he ended up just living on Social Security, and his needs were met. Certainly not in a very lavish way, his needs were met. And in his spirit, he was always generous, but not, in, not able to, to be generous in the way that he thought, he planned. And, but I remember on his last birthday, which we didn't know it was going to be his last birthday, but it was, and, and, all, and most of the family was there, and the grandchildren, it was Ask Grandfather Night. And my little boy was about to jump out of his seat to ask him the question, Grandfather, what's your greatest joy in life and what was your greatest disappointment? He says, well, my greatest joy in life was coming to Christ. He came to Christ um, in World War II. He was the one who sat in the airplane and sort of dropped the bombs. And, uh, and this time in this particular plane, uh, he was, it was getting shot through with enemy aircraft, and, and it looked like they would never survive the flight. And, we, and so he came. He knew the gospel, but he never embraced it. He says, Lord, I've, I've heard the gospel many times. I've always thought I'd had more time. It doesn't look like I do. So I'm reaching out to you for your salvation. He said he met the Lord in the air. <laughs> but, uh, well, they miraculously survived that and he came back. But, you know, it wasn't just what they call a foxhole conversion. He served God faithfully till the end with increasing maturity. That was his greatest joy. In fact, uh, my wife, we celebrate spiritual birthdays. March 6th is the second born's spiritual birthday, so that's coming up. But, um, and when he was a little bitty boy, they made early confessions. And, and um, uh, my wife... We videoed her father, my boy's grandfather, telling him about his salvation experience. And he had a model of the airplane. And we videoed that. Actually, at my father-in-law's memorial service, we showed that video. And everybody got the gospel of him explaining the... Um, but that, so that was very special. But, but, Grandfather, what was your greatest disappointment? And uh, he, he thought about it. He says, I really don't have any disappointments. Now, he had been cheated out of millions of dollars. But I know he's what? He sensed God gave him the greater desire of his life. I think he looked at his family and he saw them richer 
by not having that. And that is very true. Now, does it mean God may pour millions of dollars upon you? I pray he does, and it's pure blessing. But just what? Uh, and I'm sure you do too. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and I do pray God pours great money upon this fellowship. I, I love what you're doing. I love where you're trying to, to live and, and encourage each other and, and, and these mission trips, and, and thank you. And I pray that's a worthy thing for God to pour millions of dollars. But what I'm just saying, though, let God give you the deeper desire of your heart. And when it's all over, it's not, not going to matter. We're going to carry nothing with us. But um, God sometimes has to pray your heart for you. I had a student. Uh, he came to be my student when he was in his 50s. He left a career in chemical engineering, and he was, a, he was, a, was an Asian student from Singapore, I believe. He, and he was a legendary in regard to his prayer life. And we'd have these retreats, and uh, the typical way you do a retreat, you know, you have morning meetings, and you have free time in the afternoon, and you have evening meetings. Well, free time to him meant seek God. So we had a large coalition of a lot of Asian students, and so he would just, they'd pray all afternoon. That's what free time meant to him. So he was an incredible prayer warrior. Well, I remember, I'm just saying this a little bit about him, and I'll illustrate this principle from his life about helping him in his weakness. But there was one uh, little group I was uh, leading, and and student came in, another very mature student. Ming was in that group, but there was also another mature student named Tim. And Tim came down, and he came in, and you could tell he was down. He was discouraged. And we said, what's wrong, Tim? He says, well, I was just doing my job. He was working for public safety there at Moody, and I was just doing my job. And I told this uh, business lady uh, she couldn't go to a certain area, you know, and, and, boy, she got mad and angry, and she's throwing a lawsuit against me. That just could destroy me. And, oh, Ming saw pure wickedness in that. He said, let's pray. I will never, ever forget him leading us in prayer. I know at his prayer, I mean, it reached heaven. Um, well, the next week when Tim came in for that group meeting, oh, he had a lightness in his step and joy. And we said, what happened? He said, sit down, let me tell you. He said, Remember about that lawsuit? Well, one evening, one of my fellow security public safety workers was just working at night, just happened to be listening to a talk radio show. This lady, high-powered business lady who had thrown this lawsuit against me, called into that talk radio show, and she began boastfully talking how she was going to hit this Moody Bible Institute security guard with this incredible lawsuit, and my fellow worker had the presence of mind to tape it. They turned that over to Moody Legal, and almost instantly that, that, that lawsuit was dropped. Now, that's the strange circumstances God used. I have absolutely no doubt it was Ming's prayer the week before. Uh, so Ming was a prayer warrior. That's what I want you to see. Well, this is another group Ming was in. He came uh, in. He was down this time. This was another group a year or two later. He was doing a pastoral internship. And he says, I went to this lady to visit with her. And... She said, I don't want you to be here. I don't want anybody from the church. I didn't ask you to come. He says, well, can I just pray for you? She says, I, look, I didn't ask you to come. I don't care if you pray for me or not. Very bitter, health deteriorating. He says, well, let me just pray. He says, I went and tried to pray for her, and I just began crying like a little baby. Now, that's what he reported to us. Now, his thoughts were in this direction. Look. I'm over 50 years old. I'm getting a master's in Bible. I've left my 
job and, and career in chemical engineering. I try to pray for a lady. All I can do is cry like a baby. Tell me there's hope for me somewhere. Uh, well, you know what we learned later? Later. That lady was so evidently struck by those compassionate tears. I told you that backstory of Ming because he was a prayer warrior. And like many of you, we, we can professionalize any moment, and we got a prayer for just about any occasion, and we'll lay it on you if you want to have it, you know. But he didn't professionalize that moment. He did not know how to praise what, and the Spirit of God just poured out compassionate tears. And that lady, all the barrier she had was just knocked down. God began to move in her life. She dealt with her bitterness. Her health began to improve. So what looked like what? A great failure was far, was far from it. Was far from it. God's Spirit can help you in your prayers. I was sharing this story one time and, and, uh, at a pastor's conference, and a pastor just spontaneously rose to his feet and said, let me tell you one of my sort of hall of shame stories. I was, I was very angry and upset with my teenage son, and I was literally running and chasing him around the table. I have a, a Down syndrome boy that had never prayed in his life. And in that moment of me chasing my teenage boy around, the, he, came, he, he never prayed in his life. He said, hold, 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 hold ha, ha, hands. Lord, please help Daddy. Uh, and he says that totally broke him, totally broke the son, the teenage son, and God just put a melting, compassionate moment. He says, I know God's Spirit put that upon his heart. All he knew is what he loved his daddy, and he saw his daddy in trouble. And he knew when his daddy was in trouble, his daddy cried out to God. So he said, what? I'm going to help my family cry out to God. Well, uh, we don't know how to sometimes pray as we ought. The, uh, but let me, this is a precious poem by the late Ruth Bell Graham on mothers. Um, had I been Joseph's mother, I'd have prayed protection from his brothers. God keep him safe. He is so young, so different from the others. Mercifully, she never knew there would be slavery in prison too. Had I been Moses' mother, I'd have wept to keep my little son praying that she might forget the babe drawn from the water of the Nile. Had I not kept him for her, nursing him the while? Was he not mine and she but Pharaoh's daughter? Had I been Daniel's daughter, I should have pled, give victory this Babylonian horde. Godless and cruel, don't let them take him captive. Better dead, almighty Lord. Had I been Mary, oh, if I had been she, I would have cried as never a mother cried. Anything, oh God, anything but crucified. With such prayers, my finite wisdom would assail infinite wisdom. God, how fortunate, infinite wisdom should prevail. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but God's Spirit wants to lend us a helping hand in knowing our heart and helping us to pray our heart and sometimes having to pray our heart for us. The, um, we could also talk of other ways the Spirit of God wants to help you pray your heart uh, in empowering you. But maybe that's another time as I see the clock there. And you're so, so kind, so gracious, so attentive. And uh, I deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate that. 
But uh, I thank you also for the praying church you are. Uh, I thank you for that. I applaud that. I know uh, the dear brother that picked me up. 5.55, we were in the car, but we went to prayer. And uh, what a beautiful thing to do. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for the, for the missionary drive that you have. And I pray that God would greatly continue that in each one of your life. And I pray that each of you, your deeds of late will be better than your deeds of first. And you pray that for me. Uh, well, I'm going to close in prayer. And it's a delight to be with you. So thank you, Father, for each one here. And Lord, I ask you to do answer the deepest petitions of every one of their hearts, dear God. I pray that in Jesus' name, and I pray, Father, for anything on their heart, would you orchestrate your body to work as it ought for anything in their life that, God, we could be fully obedient to your gracious command to cast all our cares upon you because you care for us.